0: Hello everybody, welcome back to The Low Season, a podcast about tour guides navigating a pandemic. I'm Wouter Bennert, a tour guide from Berlin, and like almost all of my colleagues, I'm currently unemployed. So what I think we could do in this podcast is talk with each other about what it's like to be unemployed all of a sudden, how we're holding up at home, and how do we see our future play out. More broadly, we'll be discussing tourism, the impact travel has on our cities and the environment, and what sustainable tourism could look like in a post-pandemic society. We'll be talking about freelancing, employment, and how fragile the tourism sector really is. Lastly, and this is something I'm very excited about, over the last few weeks I've been speaking with guides from all over the world. Listening to all of these natural storytellers has been a blast and has really whetted my appetite for travel. But as we have to wait a bit before we can hop over the border, I hope that the low season can provide a humble substitute. My first guest to kick things off is Anna Kreinin from Jerusalem.
1: People all expect something to happen. Like I, I don't think that there is one person that is coming to Israel and kind of thinks, oh, it's a nice, peaceful uh, place. Uh, nothing should go-, go wrong.
0: At the time we spoke, Israel was suffering from a heat wave.
1: It's the right time to have uh, 31 degrees outside. Anna was
0: originally born in Latvia.
1: Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, we're going that far. But
0: grew up in Israel in a small place called Ashkelon.
1: It's really nice. Not a lot of things are happening. It's famous for a nice beach and the oldest uh, pet cemetery in the world, I think.
0: Now, there is some swearing in this episode, so hide your kids. Without further ado, here is Anna (laughs) Kreinen. Yeah, I like uh, what I'd like to talk to you a little bit about is guiding, of course, our profession, um, and maybe also very specifically uh, about Jerusalem. And maybe to start things off, you could. Why, why do people go to Jerusalem? What are the main sites, and and what are sort of the main topics you talk about when you're you're a guide there?
1: Wow, listen, man, that this is so depending on on who's the person and. Uh, you have thirty seconds. Oh shit! Um, <laughs> one thing that I've noticed that. When people come to Jerusalem, uh, they have a certain set of expectations. And this is so interesting because whether you yourself uh, or every other person that visits Jerusalem, whether they're secular or religious, whether they like history or know nothing about history, their ancestors aspired to come to Jerusalem. And this is so cool that people, they, they have their different motivations, but they are living a dream. Uh, that was running in their family throughout the ages and this is really cool Uh, but yeah I guess most people uh, especially coming for the first time will want to see uh, the big three religions in Jerusalem and um, mostly the old city but I hope that me and my fellow tour guides are trying to open their minds to the fact that Jerusalem is not just an ancient city it's not just the holy city it is pulsating with life and an amazing food culture and Ah, uh, one of the most vibrant art scenes that uh, there are in Israel. So, yeah, I hope that gradually people will start uh, noticing that as well, and not just uh, one square kilometer of um, of old walls,
0: yeah, because it it is a little bit. Like I've never been to Israel before. But when I think about hip and trendy, I think about Tel Aviv. When I think about Jerusalem, I think about the old stuff.
1: Uh, Well, listen, Tel Aviv has nothing other than that. So, you know, give them give them the hip and the trendy. (laughs) Um, It's very cute. You know, Um, Jerusalem was actually the the cultural center of Israel up until uh, about 20 years ago. Um, best clubs were in Jerusalem best music scene was in Jerusalem best cocaine apparently was in Jerusalem I was 10 so I don't know uh, but, uh, but things have changed and now Tel Aviv is this unofficial um, cultural and uh, fun capital of Israel but uh, we're getting there
0: why is that by the way? why why did that change?
1: so unfortunately this is this is a political issue because Jerusalem was very, very heavily stricken by uh, during terror waves. Buses were exploding every day. uh police uh, the police maintained uh well, sort of social distancing, you know to to lower the amount of casualties. and uh, yeah, this pretty much uh, killed the fun uh, in Jerusalem. I had this amazing opportunity to work. With um with a restaurant owner, she opened the the restaurant at the beginning of uh, a big terror wave that we had in the early two thousands, and the only reason her restaurant still exists is because that was the only restaurant that was open during that time, and this is the place where the foreigner re- foreigner reporters would come and drink after a after their very difficult days of reporting from Jerusalem.
0: I, I also I also heard that uh, you, you wrote to me, which I found very interesting, that as many guides in Jerusalem, or many guides in Israel, we don't, we don't just guide in the city, we guide all over the country. This is, for me, coming from Berlin, this is very strange. Of course, I do my daily trips to Potsdam, or maybe somewhere in the vicinity, but traveling through Germany, no, you get your special guide for Munich, or for another place. How, how is that different in Israel?
1: Well, A, size. Listen, when you travel to Potsdam, how long does it take you? Uh, an hour. Okay, cool. So, in an hour from Jerusalem, you are getting to Masada, to the Dead Sea. You're getting to the Negev Desert. You can get to um, an ancient city um, that is beyond Jericho, and you can get to Tel Aviv. This is one hour. We're talking about a country that it, its length is 500 kilometers and it is very, very, very skinny, right? So, you can't look at Israel um, as different cities because the whole geographical, this, um is is one unit that was always uh, connected. So everything that politically happened in Jerusalem happened in Acre, for example, which is a northern city along the shoreline of the Mediterranean. And uh, when we learn to be tour guides, and it's um uh, it's 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 actually a a grueling process to get the this uh, wonderful uh, license that allows you to guide, and if you don't ha- don't have the license, you can't guide in Israel. Uh, but the license is a general license that encapsulates uh, botany and life and geomorphology and general history and history of religions. And, yeah, all of these things are relevant in all of the places in Israel.
0: Mm. So tell me a bit about that license, because, of course, this is something that differs greatly from place to place. Uh, you said it's it's a difficult process, an arduous process. Do you like the fact that people have to have a license?
1: Well, listen, I'm kind of biased, yeah, because I spent more than two years trying to get this license. And, uh, um, yeah, but on one side, yes, it's, it's great. Um, Let me tell you an example. Um, About 100 years ago, when pilgrims would come to the Mountain of Olives, which is a a very celebrated Christian um, pilgrimage place, and uh, their tour guides would take them up on the mountain. And from the mountain, you can see the Dead Sea. And uh, because they were just people that didn't necessarily have this extraordinary knowledge, uh, they would just point at that salty lake and say that that is the Sea of Galilee. This is not the Sea of Galilee, but the pilgrims didn't know better, and sometimes even the tour guides didn't know better. So having the license is at least having uh, the the minimum of knowledge that uh, is required for a person to to tell the story of this very intricate place. On the other side, I think that um, an architect that really, really loves architecture and is a specialist in uh, architecture in Tel Aviv will tell the story of the international style of architecture, falsely known as Bauhaus, uh, in Tel Aviv better than I am. And uh, he will be considered doing something illegal.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or,
1: yeah, so there are pluses and minuses, uh, but things are changing in that sense in Israel. But you know the the entire world of tourism is changing right now, so we'll see what's um, what there is um, what are the changes in about a year or two from now
0: do Do you think it is going to drastically change, or do you think things are going to be getting back to normal as people start traveling again?
1: Well, you know what is back to normal? I think uh, that um, the economy had suffered very very substantially, and uh, leisure is the first thing to be harmed and the last thing to come back mm Mm. Um, so if people don't have a lot of money, obviously their traveling will be changed accordingly, and, uh, you know, we are all interdependent, and this is fascinating to see, you know. Um, There is this tendency, um, maybe not in Europe, but uh, in the Middle East and other places, to think of us as units, you know, a a country, a country, a country, but if you open your borders, and another country has uh, people still uh, that carry the disease, Um, you will have a second wave. And so I think this will be one of the most um, influential aspects to how and if tourism will go back to itself. Because the entire world needs to heal, you know before borders can open.
0: How, how do you guide? How do you get your work? Do you mo- mostly work for one single company? Do you have your own business? Um, are you employed somewhere? Like what, what is your main apparatus?
1: Well, yes to all actually. Um, the thing is that uh, to be a tour guide in Israel, most companies, more, most agents will uh, pay you independently. So you have to freelance. So almost every tour guide in Israel has a freelance uh, business. Uh, but, you know, it's fun to be employed because somebody else pays your pension and, uh, you know, social security. So I'm also a, employed as a guide through a company.
0: Sorry, um, but, 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 Anna, I have to, I have to stop you for a second because I now hear something that I almost never hear a guide say. You actually are employed f- by as some a guide. as a guide. That is,
1: yeah, that is kind yeah. of exceptional. Um, Yeah. Um, not a lot of companies uh, offer this option for guides, but um, I think it's actually a bit. Um, yeah, it allows some companies to to save money because when you're employed and then they pay for your social security and stuff like that, and they pay you directly a bit less. So maybe in a sense, this is uh, actually saving some money for them.
0: Mm, okay, what would you what would your preferred way of working be?
1: Um, actually, the mix uh, the mix of the two.
0: Yeah. So. Getting some social security through employment, but also having the the freedom of freelance.
1: Strategy, man, strategy.
0: I know, I know. We have to be like as somebody told me at some point that being freelancer is not all just like happy butterflies and freedom and unicorns. It's also really like you have to be um, in in charge of your own schedule and really be able to do it. You know, it's not for everybody to, to be freelance.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. You need to be a responsible grown-up, man. What?
0: <laughs> I th- I th- I think so a little bit. I think a little bit. Um, yeah, how have you been? How have you been dealing so far with the fact that you you can't work? Have you been trying to do all kinds of cool projects, or have you sort of been sitting at home a little bit?
1: Uh- well, we were all sitting at home quite a bit um, <laughs> in the past couple of um, months um projects yeah i'm writing uh for a travel blog that's called um the israel uh, holiday uh other than that I did this uh, irresponsible thing and just at the beginning of this period, I bought myself uh, an iPad because I'm an artist and I switched to digital painting. So this is taking a lot of my time and it's super, super fun. And yeah, also, I'm I'm kind of um, looking for employment right now because with all due respect to my love for tour guiding and I really am... Super in love with this, with this job. But uh, yeah, it's not very plausible for the next months, at least.
0: One of the, one of the things that that fascinates me, and I will speak to some other guides from Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, and I, I like I find that in Berlin we talk about quite difficult topics, right? I mean, we talk about the 20th century, which has been yeah horrible, with uh, horrible events uh, happening there, but. Uh, what i find fascinating about israel is that there's still a lot of turbulence inside of the country as you're there so as a as a tour guide uh, with people visiting how how do you sort of weave that into your tour
1: well the thing is that people all expect something to happen. Like I I don't think that there is one person that is coming to Israel and kind of thinks, oh, it's a nice, peaceful uh, place. Uh, Nothing should go go wrong. So it's actually tackling the subject from the other side. You know, uh, we get so much bad press that kind of shows us as uh, a war-stricken area. And this is not actually the case. So I think that um, it's not like... People expect something good, and then I have to bring them the bad news that not everything is good. It's actually the other way around.
0: I'm I'm thinking more like, for example, there there is places in in Israel that you can't go to, or as a tourist.
1: Um, as a tourist, um, maybe maybe Gaza Strip is something that you you can go, but it's just a longer process to get the paperwork. Sure. Um, other than that, well, you know every. Like you can't go into military bases, but that is obvious. <laughs> um, crossing into Palestine is not a problem; it's actually easy. Israelis that have only an Israeli passport, uh, they can't do it. Um, they need a special authorization. But luckily for tour guides, uh, we are allowed to cross over to um, certain areas of the um, of the West Bank. So
0: yeah, I, I've heard that. Why, why is that? How is it that you you get that? Uh, opportunity to do so
1: because we're awesome. <laughs> Come on, um, why? Um, a, I think um, when you experience a process with a group, like if you spend a week with the group and then you just uh, ship them off to to for a day in Palestine, it's it's kind of I think uh, harming the experience. Um, other than that, why would? I don't know what the government was thinking when they did it, but the thing is that Bethlehem and Jericho are very, very, very like f- celebrated touristic destinations, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's safe. So maybe that is uh, part of that. Like when you are with the group, uh, no, no harm will come to you. I guess.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, it that that could be. I'm just thinking, like as a, as an Israeli with a, just with an Israeli passport, you can't go in there.
1: Into Bethlehem, maybe now they started allowing uh, visitations for Israelis with just one passport to visit around Christmas because it's cool. Yeah, it started being like something cool. Jericho, I think it's still like you still need like to go through a very grueling process with the army before you can go to Jericho. For example, I can't go to Ramallah, um, which is. A lot of, it's like a very fun city. I can't go to Nablus and they have the best Knafe in, in Israel, so in Palestine, so I'm very sad about that. But maybe these things are changing as well.
0: Now, when people come to visit again, what, what is it that you like to- to, to show them? What's it like that you'd like to tell them? One of the things you already said was to sort of, um, beat out the stereotypes a little bit, to challenge them on their, their, their ideas of what they thought before that trip. What is it that you'd like to show them about Israel or Jerusalem specifically?
1: Um, I think it's all about the versatility and, uh, uh, yeah, like again, Jerusalem is more than, uh, than one thing and Israel is more than one thing. And, uh, it's it's great to to have surprises in store for people. Um every city I think has a different stigma. For example, uh the thing that I love hearing the most about uh about Nazareth is how surprising it is that it's not a tiny village with people living in caves because people kind of read the the New and Old Testament and expect that nothing have changed in the past 2000 years. Um Oh, yeah. After spending a couple of days in Jerusalem, you go to Tel Aviv and it's it feels completely different. It looked completely different. Um, yeah. So it's just the matter of, um, of versatility and how versatile it's such a small place as Israel can be. Like, again, we're talking about uh, a country that its width is like 80 kilometers. It is tiny. And like half of it is desert. So if we still have like 8 million people that live mostly on the outskirts of the desert and you guys don't have a problem with the desert, so yeah.
0: Do you do tours there as well?
1: Yes, Um, of course.
0: What is fun about the deserts?
1: Oh, which one? Because every desert is completely different.
0: No, all the deserts are the same, Anna.
1: No, no, come on. This is said like a person that lives in a green country (laughs) without hills. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, the the Judean Desert, which is the desert that starts uh, east to Jerusalem, is this completely unique desert. That is, uh, it's unique in the sense that it's unconnected to the Sahara Desert, to this international belt of deserts. Um, and it's uh, it's completely unique because it is the home of the Dead Sea, and it's the home of the Rift, a geological massive crack that connects um, Syria. And Africa so that has completely unique plants and completely unique wildlife to that for example you have the desert that is in the south next to Elat, and then you have mountains that are re- made out of red compressed sand you don't have dunes like you imagine in a desert and then some parts of the Negev Desert has these rolling dunes, as people usually imagine the desert, but most of the Negev Desert is a rocky desert. And all of these deserts react differently to the change of the seasons. Some become some mountains become waterfalls at winter. In spring, they're completely in bloom. Have you ever imagined a desert that has flowers in it? Mm. So, yeah, it's it's completely different. Each one of the deserts, we have five of them, and uh, they're just incredible, incredible.
0: Well, I, I hope I, ha- I will have the chance to to come and visit at, at some point. Um, I, I, I've never been. I'd love to go at some point and um, explore not just the cities, but also the, the countryside, like the, the rest of, of Israel.
1: Yeah, I was just uh, writing a blog post yesterday about um, like an ideal itinerary for a person that visits Israel the first time. And um, yeah, a week is just a taste. So when you decide to come, then definitely take that into account. That If you want to see the, the less visited sites, then definitely come for more than that. That. or just, you know, take into account that you are going to become an addict. So,
0: <laughs> well, uh, Anna, I want to thank you so much for chatting to me, t- for taking the time to-, to share your perspectives on tour guiding and how it's going. Maybe we can speak again in the future when, when things have settled down a little bit more, when we know. When people can travel again. Um,
1: when we literally have a livelihood again. I
0: know, I know. Let's <laughs> let's see when that happens. But for now, um, I just wish you a wonderful rest of your day.
1: Uh, for you too, Walter. It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thank you, uh, Anna. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Anna Kreinen, everybody, from Jerusalem. And boy, did we talk about a lot of things. How small Israel really is and how it doesn't make sense to be a tour guide in just one city. We talked about employment, how Anna enjoys a mix of security on the one hand and freedom on the other. But if you're a little bit like me, the very first thing you're probably doing after this episode is over is having a look at the map of Israel and try to find all of these places that we spoke about today. Ashkelon, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Jericho, the Sea of Galilee, Ramallah, Nablus, the Judean Desert, Trying to edit this episode was an absolute nightmare as I was constantly looking things up on Wikipedia from the earliest inhabitants of Jerusalem to what a canafe actually is. I have added a bunch of links in the show notes, not in the least, to Anna's own projects and websites called Travel Anne. You might also have noticed a bit of an identity change for the low season. The new artwork and designs were made by Scotsman Christopher White, of whom I'm incredibly grateful, you can find more of his work at ccwhite.com. And as always, if you want to get in touch, send me a message at thelowseasonpodcast at gmail.com. Music is by Mark Schilders, Georgia Ryungu is making me blush. We'll be back on Wednesday with Jorge from Madrid.
1: The thing that is hurting more about all this is how betrayed most of Guides feels from the tour companies that we have been loyal to for years.
0: Speak soon, my friends.